Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. We're here to talk about Madison Perry. He's a Colorado native, currently living in L.A., and uh, he's been published in the New York Times, McSweeney's, he's won The Moth twice, and he's writing two screenplays, well, he's written two screenplays that are in the progress of being made right now. So, please help me in welcoming Madison Perry. Uh, Hello, everybody. So it means a lot uh, for you guys all to be here. I know know most of you that are here. And, uh, you know, I grew up uh, going to the Tattered Cover in Cherry Creek. I can still remember the smell of that bookstore. Uh, So it's really uh, means a lot for you guys to all be here with me. And it's very exciting to be back here with my first book uh, to uh, read it to you and and sign it for you. I'll sign anything you want me to sign uh, the book. Um, so today, instead of doing uh, a reading, I'm going to uh, kind of do a performance for you. Um, so this, uh, the book, for those of you that don't know, some of you may have already read it. came out a couple weeks ago. It's a quick read. Like, it took me three years, and then people were like, that was a good half an a- afternoon for me. It was an uh, enjoyable half an afternoon. But uh, the book is about, in the beginning, I get uh, broken up with, I get heartbroken, and I decide that I want to uh, do some casual dating. I'd been uh, kind of a, a girlfriend, I'd always had a girlfriend, very serious relationships, very little breaks in between, and so I decided I was going to date a lot. Uh, partially, I thought this would be psychologically healthy, and partially, I wanted to be single when I went to Burning Man, uh, so I could have weird desert sex, uh, was the, the motivation. So this, uh, this chapter comes uh, kind of in the middle of the book, and uh, it's called The What If Girl. And so years before this period of uh, enlightenment, as I call it, or as my wife now calls it, me being a slut, uh, years before that, I was dating a girl, and we were at our one-year anniversary dinner together. And the dinner was going kind of awkward, uh, because neither my girlfriend Anne nor I had said, I love you, in that year. And a year is a long time to go without telling your significant other that you love them. And I'd noticed in the past few months, we'd both stopped saying the word in any situation. So we'd be like, that was a great turkey sandwich. I, lo- I liked it. I liked that turkey sandwich. It's a very special turkey sandwich to me. That's what I was trying to say. And so this, this dinner was kind of awkward. And we exchanged cards, but because we couldn't use the L word, they were very informal so it was like, uh, it's great getting to know you this year. Stay cool this summer. Uh, KIT. So it was, like, it was a kind of relationship. I think a lot of people have them in your 20s where you're like, I know this isn't forever, but I don't know how to break up with someone yet. Like you have the kind of thoughts where you're like, maybe I'll take another job in another city and then we'll have to break up. Like that seems a reasonable way to get out of a relationship is to change your career path. So it's that kind of relationship. Good, but not uh, a long-term deal. So a couple months after this awkward anniversary dinner, we, uh, I was out at a bar, my girlfriend was out of town, and I met a friend of a friend named Lindsay, and we just hit it off right away. We, we, the conversation was great, she was smart and funny, and we had a lot in common, and we just, we just could talk for hours, and we did, and we stayed at the bar long after 
our friends had left, and we're sitting closer and closer as we get drunker throughout the night, and, and it's loud in this bar, and so we have to lean in to talk to each other, and so when she speaks to me, I can, I can feel her breath on my neck. Very, she had very sexy breath, uh, I decided, and, and when I would talk to her, I could smell her hair, and it smelled way better than my girlfriend's hair, and I was like, this isn't about shampoo. This is biochemical compatibility. And so at about 3 a.m. came that moment where we, the conversation is dropped and we're, we just are lo- have eye contact and it's that moment you're supposed to kiss. And I really want to kiss her, but my conscience is saying, you know, you can't kiss her. You have a girlfriend. You know, you're, not, you're a nice guy. Don't do that. I'm like, you're right, conscience. But we're, it's not going to be forever with Anne and, and, and why pass up this amazing moment for, for someone I, I don't think I even love and, and don't they say the things that you don't do or what you regret most and my conscience is like great points all of these are great points and so we kiss and she kisses me back and we start making out right there at the bar and people are looking at us but we don't care because we're young and we're drunk and it's New York City and it's 3am and we're doing something wrong but it feels right so it's, it's great and we we make out at the bar for a while, and then they kick us out of there, and then we go to my apartment, and, and we continue to make out. Uh, we don't have sex. Neither of us want to take it that far, but it's a nice night. And she goes home in the morning, and now I feel guilty because I'm a cheater. I've cheated. And to defend myself, like on a cheating scale from like one to Ben Affleck having sex with his nanny, this is like a three. You know, like, there's, there was no sex, neither of us were married, it wasn't ongoing. Like, what we did in many European countries would be considered a friendly hello. <laughs> this is America, so I had cheated. And I got caught within 24 hours. And here's how. I wrote an email to a good friend telling him what had happened, which is mistake number one. I'm not encouraging anyone here to cheat, but if you do, do not put the evidence in writing of what you've just done. If you want to tell someone, you should call them. And even then, you should be on a burner cell phone like you're a drug dealer from The Wire, and you should dispose of it right after. My second mistake was the title I chose for this email I sent, which was, and I quote, So I Cheated on My Girlfriend. This title was a problem when she happened to be Googling something on my computer when the response came in that said, RE, so I cheated on my girlfriend. She read that email, became very angry. There was a fight. We were yelling. She was mostly doing the yelling because it's hard to defend yourself when the evidence was written by you. You're like, you're not going to believe that guy. He's a cheater. Untrustworthy, I'd say. And so we're having this fight and... um, I think I have a moment. I have a moment where I can defend myself because she says, I can't believe you'd sleep with someone else. And I say, we we didn't sleep together. We just kissed. And I think this is a flawless defense. But she says, that's worse. Kissing is worse than sex, she says. Which is not true. This is not true at all. Like, unless you're Julia Roberts and you're a hooker with a heart of gold, sex is above kissing always. Second, it would have been nice to know that kissing was worse than sex. And I was busy not having sex. I was like, I don't want to make this worse. Would have made it better for everyone. Would have been a real win-win, apparently. So we fight, but we, we somehow don't break up that night because I, I beg her for a second chance because even though I'd been okay with the relationship ending, I didn't want it to end because I'd done something bad. And so I convinced her to give me a second chance 
which, by the way, is another bad thing I did. Like, I should have just been honest and said, I'm sorry I did that. You didn't deserve it, but I think we should split up. But I didn't do that. I begged for a second chance. We stayed together for uh, another six months, uh, probably longer than we would have because I I felt so guilty about cheating, and we still never said I love you, and we eventually broke up. And I, of course, tried to get in touch with Lindsay, the girl from this night, but she'd she'd left the country, and so she became what I call a a what-if girl. And, you know, there's these people in your life where you have a connection, but you don't get to date them, and so you kind of wonder, what if? You know, you move on with your life, be like, what if that night was the start of something special? And the problem with what if people is the answer is never rational. You're never like, nah, probably wouldn't have worked out. You're like, well, what if? Well, it would have been a love this world has never seen. We know that. <laughs> probably would have moved to Seattle, opened a cheese shop. Uh, our kids would have looked adorable in boat shoes. Uh, that's, the an- that's always the answer to what if. It's, it seems like it's the perfect relationship because it didn't happen. So four years later, I'm in the midst of this, uh, this year of sluttery. And I'm on Facebook, and in the people you may know section, this girl, Lindsay, my what-if girl, pops up in the people you may know section. And I'm like, I do know her. And I click on her profile, and she is single. I check the pictures, no evidence of boyfriends. And she lives in L.A. We'd, we'd, when we'd hooked up, we'd both been in New York, and now we both live in L.A. Four years later, and I'm like, this is not... Due to an algorithm, this was the gods at work. Like, Cupid, you son of a bitch, you've done it again. And so I friend her, and she friends me back, and we send messages back and forth, and they're fun and flirty, just like Cosmo Magazine says they should be. And we decide to meet up at a concert. And so I go to this concert, and I, I enter, and I spot her across the crowd, and she looks great, and we, we lock eyes as I, as I push through the crowd, and we hug, and it's, it's not just a hug. It's a perfect hug. It's a great, it's the hug of star-crossed lovers reunited. Hair still smells great. So she pulls away from the embrace, and she smiles, and she motions to her left, and she says, this is my girlfriend, Nicole. And not like, girlfriend, uh, we get brunch and gab about boys, girlfriend, uh, but like, we are lesbian lovers, and she is my girlfriend. And so I'm confused, because the last time I'd seen her, there'd been some evidence that she was interested in guys. She'd made out with me. And I do have very soft skin and listen to a lot of Katy Perry, but I'm technically a man. And so, I, of course, I'm, I'm like, was I the last guy she was with? Did I, did I make her gay? And I know you can't make anyone gay. I, I know that. But gay people must have a tipping point person where they're like, that confirms it. I know for sure now. Thank you. So I didn't, I didn't want to be. And then I, I had another idea. Is, well, maybe she was like, if I, can have no, if I cannot have this man, I shall have no man. I know that one's less likely, but like, let's not rule anything out. And then, of course, it hit me that there was a third possibility, that she was bisexual. And I thought fate had brought me there that night for true love, but maybe it was something more important. A threesome. Because this is how the straight male mind works, is we're immediately like, how does your sexuality apply to me in my fantasies, though? There was no threesome. There was no sexual tension of any kind between us. Uh, but it was a nice night. I still had a great rapport with Lindsay, and her, her girlfriend was great. And uh, between the bands, we were talking, and we ended up talking about movies, and the movie The Notebook 
came up. Uh, and if you haven't seen this, it's with Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, and it's sort of a weepy romance, and it's based on a Nicholas Sparks book, and I hate this movie. I, I really hate it, because I think it's totally unrealistic, because everything Ryan Gosling does that is deemed romantic in this movie is actually psychotic. Like, as an example, to ask Rachel McAdams on, her, on their first date, he sees her at a carnival, and she's on a date with another gentleman, and they get on a Ferris wheel. Does he wait for her to come down to ask her out? No, he climbs the Ferris wheel, and he hangs from the Ferris wheel and says he will drop if she won't go out with him. This is a real scene in this movie. The next scene in the movie is them on this date. Like, in real life, the next scene would be like, if you sign here, the restraining order will come into effect in 24 hours. And the movie is filled with crazy things like this that are only romantic because Ryan Gosling is so good-looking. Like, if you exchange Ryan Gosling for Steve Buscemi, this movie is a horrifying thriller. It's about a guy who will not leave a girl alone for years and eventually gets her. That's what that movie is about with Steve Buscemi. And so I'm, I'm on this rant and explaining how all romantic movies are, are, are BS like this and, and they, don't, they don't make sense and people don't act like that. And I realize in that moment, as I'm on this rant, that I'd come to the concert that night because I thought I was the hero in a romantic movie. I'd drunkenly made out with someone four years ago, and I was like, that meant something. That was, the, the, the stars were, because I was always looking for signs. I'm like, we lived in New York, and then we lived in L.A. What are the odds? I don't know if you know how New York and L.A. work, but everyone moves back and forth all the time. That's like, those cities are just people moving back and forth between New York and L.A., and so I, I realized that part of the reason I wanted it to be true, I wanted it to, the what if to be we'd be in love, is that it would mean that that was the start of an epic romance that night, and not just me getting drunk and kissing someone I shouldn't have, which is what it was. And so the night ended, I left. She did not chase me out into the street. There was no kiss in the rain. The answer to what if was, you'll be friends, hang out sometimes, but she doesn't like penises. That's the end of my story for tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, so if anyone has any questions about the, the process of writing the book, anything they've read in the book, uh, feel free to ask those. Anyone have any questions about anything? Yes. It is all true. It is all 87% true, I would say. <laughs> I, um, there's some things that get sort of condensed for, to make sense narratively, and uh, there's some events that happen slightly out of place uh, just to, for the tone of the book, but everything in it is, is true. It happened. I changed names and certain details uh, so that uh, no one would sue me. But uh, yes, it is, all, it is all true. So you will learn way too much about me when you read this book. Yes, in the back. Uh, <laughs> I went with the, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, uh, mode of thinking on this one. I, uh, <laughs> some of them have reached out to me, uh, since the book came out. So far, they've been flattered. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I'm, 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 I'm scared is <laughs> the truth. <laughs> um, Yes. Uh, we're no longer together, um, but it was a great... No, uh, she has been great about the whole thing. She was one of the first people to read it when it finished, and I paced around our apartment while she read it, and eventually she made me leave. Uh, 
because I was so nervous. Um, she knows the exact page when I start talking about her and, and not other girls. Uh, but she's been great about it. And luckily, she's the happy ending of the book and uh, the happy ending of the experience for me. So she's, she's been great. But as a general rule of advice, I would not advise anyone to write a book about everyone you've had sex with uh, and hand it to your significant other. But my wife's been great about it. Yes. Uh, my mom... It was very supportive of the book. My mom is the kind of mom that if I murdered someone, she'd be like, you murdered him so well, honey. You really, he's, he's not coming back. You did a great job. Uh, so yeah, she was, she, was, she was very proud. Uh, and I, I was, I was nervous. I was, I was a bit more nervous about my mother-in-law reading the book uh, than my own. My mom has to love me, no matter what. Whereas my mother-in-law does, does not have to love me, but uh, she was also very, very kind and enjoyed the book. Yes. I did, yeah. I made it to the year, and I went to Burning Man, uh, expecting to have a lot of sex, and I found out, um, like, sex in the desert is hard to do and (laughs) uncomfortable, so it wasn't really about that. Uh, And I came back, and my year was done, and I decided I was having a really great time, and so I kept dating uh, for another six or eight months. Uh, And eventually, I I sort of grew tired of not having a a true connection and relationship with someone. Yes, I'm pretty much a perfect person now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to this process. Yeah, yep. Uh, no, I really do think uh, I grew a lot. I, I gained a lot of confidence. I, I go into it a little bit in the book, but I, I was uh, much shyer uh, in general and with women in high school. And I think uh, for a lot of people, or at least for me, the, the voice of who you were in high school is always in your head somewhere. And uh, I finally shut that guy up. Uh, I was like, girls like me, see? Uh, and so that helped a lot. And it, it also turned out that just by not, not being in a, uh, a serious relationship for the first time in my adult life, really, uh, for a long period of time, I did things I really, every choice was just mine to be made. And, and so I, I made a lot of new friends and traveled a lot. And it was a, a great experience aside uh, from the dating part of it. Any other questions? Yes, right here. What's with the cover? So uh, raise your hands if you know why uh, an eggplant would be on this cover. Okay. That's about, that's about the average. Been. So that is the eggplant emoji. Uh, if you're texting someone, and you'll notice it's somewhat phallic. Uh, it's like a tie between the eggplant and the corn for the most phallic of the bitmojis. And so at some point, it wasn't my trick. Blame the internet. Uh, but people decided if you didn't want to write my penis, you would write my eggplant in a text. I don't know why you'd ever write my penis uh, in a text message, but if you wanted to, you could just write my eggplant, and you'll notice that the back is a peach, which, depending on your proclivity, could be uh, anything, uh, a couple things. Uh, <laughs> and one reading, I showed the back, and the guy was like, ah, yes, the bum, the bum. <laughs> it's like, ah, good, good eye, sir, good eye. Uh, so, yeah, that was, uh, that is the end. And for a while, there was a thing called Eggplant Fridays on Instagram, which has been banned by the application, which was close-ups, non, with a layer of clothing over of uh, people's, people's junk. So that is why. It, Joel, you had a question? No, your question got answered? Okay. Great. <laughs> so there's probably some people that are like, I've, I've, I'm just an eggplant enthusiast. I'm a chef. And I've <laughs> been getting some friendly uh, text back. Yeah, in the back. 
It was. Uh, it was. She asked, uh, "Was it hard to do the book on tape?" That was the the question. Yes. Uh, it it was. My my first. Like all you're doing is sitting there and talking. But at the end of the first day, I was exhausted. Like I was physically drained, and I realized I I know speak good. Uh, is what I discovered because in everyday conversation, there's not a director on the other side of glass being like, "You screwed that up." You screwed that up. Uh, and so for the first half of the first day, especially being able to sound natural while enunciating and speeding, uh, speaking at the correct speed was very difficult. And I had to redo the first couple chapters because they were my worst chapters. Um, and a lot of the stories in the book started out as things I did on stage. But the transition from things you speak aloud to on the written page, the language, not that this is a dense book by any means, but it's not like someone just talking uh, on a stage. And so there's a lot of times where I'm like, why would I make this sentence so long? I can't even hold my breath this long. This is horrible. Uh, And then there's certain jokes and things and lists that work much better visually, so we had to figure out a way to change those. But it was a a fun experience. If if it was a fiction book, I would have the prose do it, but for a a memoir, I thought it uh, it came out well with me doing it. Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> From the mother in the front. <laughs> well, I'm a feminist, so... <laughs> uh, no, it did get expensive. I figured out quickly that uh, you should not go to dinner on the first date because uh, if it doesn't go well, that's 90 minutes and 50 to to $100. So, and usually within three minutes, you're like, yeah, or nah. Uh, and so for, for both people's sake, I started only scheduling dates on weekdays, and only the first date would always be a drink. Because when you're online dating, you're meeting a stranger. So really, the first date is not a date. It's deciding if you want to go on a date is really how I would start to consider it. And if one drink goes well, it can become multiple drinks. Uh, but din- there's just some, I went to a dinner, and you're like, oh, we haven't even ordered yet, and this is not going to be a fun night. Uh, so yeah, if anyone is online dating, I would... Recommend adop- adopting that rule. Yes. Uh, most of the women, probably ninety percent, were from online. Um, I, I, I met. Pe- I was open to meeting people in real life, but when, you, when you've got a quota like I had, you gotta. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta get it done. Uh, but it was mostly a very positive experience. I the only sort of crazy date I went on was a setup by a friend. So most people I met online, the worst case scenario was we didn't hit it off and. Mostly nice people. I think it's easier for guys, I think, uh, in this regard. Is there any, uh, any more questions? Yes. Uh, yes, I'm working on, uh, I'd like to write a novel next, so I'm in the process of starting that. Um, and then I'm hoping to, I, I write scripts as well, so I'm working on a script to hopefully turn this into a movie at some point. Uh, so those are both very long-term projects. But once I'm done, uh, I've gone to a few cities on the tour. Once I'm done with that, I will get back to work on those things. Yes? Who would I want to play me? Uh, I really want Idris Elba. Because uh, he's really cool and has a great voice and he's super handsome, but he's like 50 in English and black. Um, so I don't think that will happen. Uh, but regardless, it will be someone much younger and better looking than me, uh, without a doubt. So I think I will, I will win in in any regard. So just I'll say now, if it happens, no one needs to let me know they're better looking than me because uh, I know they will be, and that I'm fine with that. <laughs> yes. I do not journal. I actually don't. 
Yeah. Uh, since I perform and do storytelling and things like that, I'm always jotting down ideas, uh, but I don't journal on a regular basis. So uh, when, when something's interesting, I will write down ideas for the story, but I, I don't uh, journal on a regular basis. I probably should. I, I'm going to start. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Uh, so, yes. Uh, I would say um, probably about four to six months in, uh, the idea started to come together. And all along the way, if something interesting was happening, I would turn it into a story to do on stage. Uh, but the idea of doing a book started to come together um, a few months in. And then uh, once once you're like... <laughs> Decide, well, this is all fodder for a book. You become much more open to weird dates and trips and things because you're like, ah, worst case scenario, it'll be a good chapter in the book. And then if the book never came out, it'd just be a bad scenario, I guess. But luckily the book did come out, so. Yes. Uh, yes, there was a, a great title, uh, Wild Oats, or maybe Oats, short, uh, that... Uh, Someone gave me, but uh, the publisher publisher passed on that title, uh, which you know I'm, I'm still not happy about. Uh, yeah, that was my cousin Pat who suggested that name who asked the question. <laughs> my sincere thanks to everyone that made it out tonight. I know some of you came from far away through rush hour traffic to downtown Denver, and it really means a lot to see uh, to have all this support in uh, my home state. So, thank you very much, everybody. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.